John, that wasn't, that was excellent. That was excellent. Uh, much better than I would do if I was uh, talking in Korean. So. so we've come to uh, the end of this road here. This is uh, the final beatitude, um, and it is uh, probably the hardest one. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, great uh, reformed preacher, the inspiration to uh, so many guys, Tim Keller and uh, the, all the great reformed preachers of our day said this is the most important verse of our generation. Uh, the eighth and final beatitude is uh, highly significant, highly important. It's the reason why we can sing songs like, I will fear no evil. The reason why we can sing songs with faith saying, oh no, you never let go in every high and especially in every low. The reason why we can sing, we will not be shaken, I will not be shaken. Um, But it's also uh, the hardest, hardest one, and it's the one that has caused many people uh, to walk away from Christianity. Um, Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. We're going to focus on the Beatitude in verse 10, and then its explanation in verses 11 and 12. This is God's Word. Jesus, uh, Jesus is the one who this passage is about, and he's the one who talks. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, okay, teach his disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is God's word. As you uh, look at verse 10 and you read through verse 12, you realize the import and the challenge that is found in these verses here. Uh, By way of uh, just getting us up to where we are now, the eight Beatitudes spoken by Jesus to believers, right? To disciples, defining characteristics of what a true believer, a true disciple looks like. He's not talking about these are things you need to do to get into heaven. He's not talking about the general population and how to be happy. He's saying this is the life, the blessed, happy uncontainable joy kind of a life that is found in the kingdom of heaven and the life that marks every true child of God. And the first three talk about the kind of things that we need to understand and embrace in order for the kingdom to be ours. We come with a poverty of spirit to realize that I have nothing to offer. And as soon as we realize that I've got nothing to give to God, we begin to realize the great chasm between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man 
and, and, and of our hearts, and we begin to mourn over our sins. The fact that our sins have separated us from our God, that our, his, our iniquities have hidden his face from us so that he will not hear. We begin to realize the, 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 in, uh, the, in, the inability that we have to, to, to bridge that gap between us and God. And as a result, it leads to us becoming meek and surrendered and submitted to the will of God. And then when we are emptied out of everything that we think we used to be able to offer before the Lord God, we come empty, asking and hungering and thirsting to be filled. God says, as you come in that way, I will fill you. And the result of his filling is an overabundant filling of the supernatural life of Christ in us in order that we become merciful, we become pure in heart, we become peacemakers. That's number seven. And then we come to verse 10, the eighth and final beatitude, the only one that doesn't talk about the character of a Christian, but talks about a characteristic that happens as a result of us being a child of God. It says in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. He's saying this is what's going to happen. If you follow Christ, you will be persecuted. And that's a sign that yours is the kingdom of heaven. He says, rejoice and be glad because you are blessed. Does that make any sense to you? If this is blessing, then this is the most unwanted blessing that we could ever ask for or seek out. Two thoughts, simply two thoughts. First thing is that persecution is the birthmark of every Christian. If the paternity test of a believer is that we will strive to make peace, to be agents who call people, be reconciled to God and to reconcile the world and reconcile people to each other, to bring the shalom of the world, to right the wrongs and to make the unjust, unjust things right, then the birthmark of the believer is that we will be persecuted. Again, this is what's caused many people, when Jesus gave teachings like this, to say, I don't want to follow. I don't want to follow him. But what is Jesus saying? On first glance, it would seem that it would be odd that the world would want to persecute people because of Jesus. If you think about it, think about this. Someone who's poor in spirit, who's not boastful, who's not proud, who just comes in utter humility, a humble person, someone who owns their wrongs, and as soon as they recognize that they've done something wrong, they own it and they grieve over it, they mourn over it, and they seek reconciliation and ask for forgiveness. People who are meek, not domineering and not lording it over other people, but, but meek. People who hunger and thirst to do what is right, who are merciful to other people, who are pure in heart, undivided in their allegiance. People who seek to build bridges instead of burn. This is exactly what our world needs. It would seem at first glance as you read through this that these are not the kind of people that the world would hate. But, that, but as it is, Jesus says, the world will hate you. And you will be persecuted as a child of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is a kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be persecuted? It comes from, I mean, you could sound it out in English, persecuted, comes from the similar word for pursue. 
means that we are being pursued and hunted as a cop would chase after a criminal. Jesus is saying this is the characteristic of your life as you live out the Beatitudes, as you live out the transformed life, there are going to be people of the world who will hunt you and pursue you and chase you as if you were a common criminal. And I know that for many of us, we think, well, that might not necessarily be true in my life. But as you bring this Bible to people around the world, you ask people like Pastor Saeed in Iran, you ask people like uh, Pastor Lim in North Korea, you ask people in the persecuted church around the world, and they will say, yeah, this is indeed the most significant passage in the Bible to us because it shows us that we are part of the kingdom that we bear the mark of the family, that we are persecuted. Why are we persecuted? He says here, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. There are some people who are persecuted. For example, I've uh, talked about this, and and I've had conversations with some of y'all who go to the University of either Florida, UCF, or wherever it is. Uh, On most college campuses, at some point, there will be a guy who goes and he's usually maybe he's wearing overalls or he's wearing some kind of fundamentalist clothes. Um, He's sometimes he's carrying a cross. A lot of times he's carrying a Bible. It's not a little small pistol Bible. It's a huge shotgun Bible, like big as the speaker. And he's carrying his Bible around and he's yelling at people. He goes to an area in the campus where heavily populated in between classes, maybe the quad, the lawn, whatever you call it. And he'll start preaching. And you always uses a King James Version. says, you're going to hell. Right? Those of you, maybe he'll set up shop at the fraternity row, sorority row, and he'll say, you guys are promiscuous. You guys drink alcohol. You get drunk all the time. You guys are all going to hell. You guys are homosexuals. You guys are uh, mean people. You guys don't listen to your parents, your idolaters. You're all going to go to hell. And invariably, there are going to be people who say, you know what? This guy's whack. And they're going to start yelling at him and cursing him. And he will say something like, thank you for saying that. Jesus says, you persecute me in the same way that they persecuted the prophets before me. Blessed am I because my reward in heaven is great. Can I tell you what? He is being persecuted indeed. But he's not being persecuted because of righteousness. He's being persecuted because he's annoying. Can we let, um, let's be honest here. Jesus is not saying, blessed are you when you're persecuted because you're annoying, because you're condemning people, because you're yelling at them, because you're making them feel bad. He's not saying that's how you're being, why you're being persecuted and, and the blessedness therein. He's saying, blessed are the people who are persecuted, not because they're wrong, but because they're right. Because you live for Jesus and you reflect the character of Christ. Jesus never stood up in a street corner and said, you're gay, you're an adulterer, you're an idolater, you're going to hell. He never did that. He didn't turn people away unless they were the religious people who thought they didn't need him. The people, the most broken people were the people most attracted to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you are persecuted because you, because people see Christ, they see me in you then you know that you're doing it right. You know, I don't, need to, I don't need to know and meet a Dallas Cowboy fan to know that they're not going to like me. You know why? Because as soon as I say I'm a Washington Redskins fan walking in Dallas, I know that they're not going to like me. I'm living in enemy territory. And Jesus is saying the same thing. In a world that persecuted Jesus, saying, why would they not persecute my followers? If they hated 
me, Jesus says, then they'll hate you too if you're living the kind of life that I said you ought to live. But from the get-go, the very first sermon that Jesus preaches, in order that nobody would be misled, there is no bait and switch again. He's not saying, follow me, have the kingdom of heaven. And then in tiny little print, like uh, footnote number 85, you will be persecuted if you follow me. He doesn't say that. He blasts that loud and clear, front and center, headline news. You want to follow me, you will be persecuted. So that we know exactly what to expect when we enter into life here. Because we're living in a world that is opposed to the life of Christ. You know, as you stand for righteousness, you will begin to critique life in a world that lives for unrighteousness. So you stand for honesty in a workplace that doesn't stand for honesty, that says, well, the bottom line is what's most important. And you stand for honesty, you will immediately begin to critique them as a mirror, and they're not going to like you. They're going to say, she's a holy roller. She's a killjoy. She doesn't do those kinds of things. If you live for humility in a world that revolves around pride, you're going to, your life is going to critique the prideful hearts around you. If you stand for sexual purity, then you'll critique a world of uh, promiscuity around you, and they will not like you simply because you stand for truth and righteousness and stand for what is true and right about Christ. Simply because... You follow Christ. You date somebody who's pressuring you to compromise your morals and you stand your ground because you love Jesus, because of righteousness, there will be persecution in that relationship because you're critiquing their lives in a world that is opposed to the life of Christ is going to oppose you even if you never open your mouth to say anything about it. Simply because of righteousness. And Jesus says, let me tell you, this is what you ought to expect. My, um, I grew up in Virginia. 25 years of my life was spent in Virginia. Virginia borders Maryland, and these two states are divided by a river called the Potomac. Just one river, but the two states cannot be more different. People in Virginia think Maryland folks are a little bit country. People in Maryland think Virginia people are very snobby. That's the perception that we have. And so when it comes to Maryland and Virginia sports, there's a heated rivalry. So when I was my first year in college, uh, my college basketball team uh, for summary, I mean, this is a miracle of God, but we were top 25. And so was our cross-river rival, Maryland. Both were top 25 teams. And so uh, Maryland came to Virginia to play last game of the season. Right? They came to Virginia to play, and a group of my friends went. We sat in the student section, and obviously everyone in the student section, meaning we're students of that university, are cheering for Virginia, except for my one friend. He grew up in the hood of Maryland, and so he's a diehard Maryland fan. And so he said, I'm going to wear my Maryland jersey. I'm going to sit in the Virginia student section. I'm going to cheer louder than the rest of you guys. And we're like, don't do it, dude. Don't do it. You're going to get yelled at. People are going to tell you to be quiet. They're going to throw food at you. And he's like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to stand for my team. As he sat there, and when uh, you know, the, we ended up winning pretty, pretty uh, by 25 points at the end of the game. But in the middle, in the beginning of the game, Maryland was doing pretty well. They had this uh, guy named Joe Smith. He was a stud, and every time he would make a shot, every time Maryland would make a shot, uh, my boy would stand up and he would scream and he would start cheering and he'd be like talking trash to all these people around him, and they hated it. They hated him. They told him, "Sit down. What school do you go to? You're in the wrong section." All this stuff and. At the end, he was like, yeah, he didn't care. At the end of the game, he had his Maryland jersey on. We're, we're walking on the floor, and people are yelling at him, mocking him. But he's like, I don't care. I knew that this was what I was getting myself into. 
Wouldn't it be funny if he wearing a Maryland jersey sitting in a Virginia section was getting pummeled with insults, getting things thrown at him? And he's like, at the end of the game, as we're walking home, he's like, why did they do that to me? I can't believe they did that. Why would they do that? That's so mean of them. Of course they would do that. Why? Because he's an enemy living in enemy territory. Listen, Jesus says you're going to be persecuted. They're not going to like you. Why do we try to get along so much with the world by blending in instead of being who we were called to be? It's, again, I'm not saying be annoying and, oh, let's go seek persecution. I'm going to run to the place. Oh, Christians are getting killed. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to stand up. And He's not saying that. Like, listen, you don't need to go and seek that out. He said it's going to find you if you live for Christ. He's saying don't be surprised. In all of the New Testament, in fact, in the Old Testament, right, Jesus is saying they, they did this to the prophets. They did this to the prophets before you. Abel, for righteousness, was killed by his brother Cain. Moses, David, Samuel, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of the great people of God in in the Old Testament. And then you flip to the New Testament, the same thing. The Apostle Paul, his life was a constant story of persecution after persecution after persecution after persecution. He said to his boy Timothy, he said, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Why would we expect otherwise? Why do we act as if we're surprised when it begins to happen? Did you know that every year, a conservative estimate, 100,000 to 150,000 Christians are martyred, are killed for our faith, our brothers and sisters, every year. That means every five minutes, every five minutes, somewhere around the world, our brothers and sisters, one of them is being killed every five minutes because they stand for the name of Christ. And we're here insulated and isolated and comforted and and we don't think it's happening. But Jesus is saying, listen, it is, it's true. Every one of the disciples who are alive, who did not kill themselves except for one, went to the grave as a martyr. And the one who didn't, they tried to kill him, but they couldn't. So they exiled him to an island and said, just let him die there because he won't die for some reason. Every single one of the founding fathers of the Christian faith went to the grave Because they believed in the risen Lord. And he's saying, listen, child of God, if you call yourself a Christian, this is your birthmark. This is your inheritance. This is who you are. You will get persecuted. It may not be in bodily harm. But he says here in verse uh, verse 11, when the people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Have you ever had someone falsely accuse you at work? or at school because you stood for Christ and people resented you and they hated you, they say, don't be her friend anymore? Have you ever had someone talk trash about you or badmouth you or insult you because you were too much of a holy roller? Think this is going to happen to you if it hasn't already. And it will happen increasingly in a world that is hostile to the life of Christ in you. But blessed are you. You are blessed. You see? The disciples rejoiced in Acts 5.41 that they were considered worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Paul says it has been granted you not only to believe, but to suffer for the sake of Christ. This is our birthmark. I wish that this, I mean, in a sense, I don't, I don't want you to be hurt. 
I don't. I don't want my kids to be. I don't want my family to be either. But I don't pray that we wouldn't be persecuted. Every night I pray for my kids that they would have conviction in the word of God and they would have courage to stand for the word of God. Even if it means they're going to be mocked in the minority. Because the Bible says if they follow Christ, and I pray that they would, there's going to be persecution. And this is not the fundamentalist teaching of some small podunk country church in, in, in Arkansas somewhere. Jesus is saying this is Christianity 101, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, the Welcome to Christianity course. That you will be persecuted if you stand for Christ. The second thing that we see is that we can rejoice then. That we can rejoice in persecution. We can rejoice when we're persecuted because we're not focused on the persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you. Verse 12, rejoice and be glad. The last time you got beat up. Doesn't matter if you were beat up for Jesus, but just beat up. (laughs) Did you rejoice? When's the last time someone uh, started talking smack about you? They called you names, they gossiped about you. You go and post on Facebook, oh my gosh, life is awesome. Somebody called me a loser. (laughs) Do you rejoice in suffering? Tell you what, it's natural not to. I wouldn't be surprised if you did it. When you were sick, you're not worshiping the Lord. It'd be natural to complain. So I think, you know, when I'm not in the house, it's three ladies, three girls, and Elijah. And so I think a lot of times Elijah feels like there's a, an overload of estrogen in the home, and he wants to raise a level of male hormones. And so he recognizes the imbalance here. And so he wants to treat the girls in the home almost like they're boys. And so he likes to wrestle with them and punch them sometimes and push them off the bed. And, and so he thinks it's pretty funny, and he likes doing that kind of stuff. And so a common, common saying uttered from the lips of our eldest Manny is, Mommy, Daddy, Elijah pushed me. Elijah hit me. And then she'll go running back into her room. We've come to expect that that is natural. When Elijah persecutes her, she complains. It is unnatural for her to not complain. So you see the progression? It's natural to complain when we're persecuted. Unnatural to not complain. But he says rejoice and be glad. It would be extremely odd if we walked in to their room as they're playing in their fort that they have made. We walk in and Elijah is punching Manny, beating her up, uppercut, right? Pending like he's Floyd Mayweather. My sister, Manny Pacquiao, so, <laughs> punching and And there's Manny. Bless the Lord of my soul. That would be odd, right? That would be weird. It's not natural. I'll tell you what it is. That would be supernatural. Jesus is saying, when you're persecuted, that you can rejoice. First Peter chapter 4 says, when you are persecuted, right, rejoice, be glad, because the Spirit of God rests on you. There's a beauty and a power 
that comes to sustain the people of God in the midst of our persecution. See, we don't complain when we're being persecuted. Why? Because we're not focused on the persecution. Jesus doesn't say, verse 12, rejoice and be glad because the persecution is not so bad. (laughs) Rejoice and be glad because it doesn't hurt that much. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. There's a supernatural lineage that you have, the Spirit of God living within the prophets before you that has been passed down and that lives now in you by virtue of your faith in Christ, that gives you the supernatural ability to rejoice and to be glad and to know the blessing, even in persecution. This is hard, isn't it? And this is hard teaching. But Jesus says you can rejoice because you're not looking and focused on the persecution. What is it that causes people to do that? Again, Acts 5.41. The apostles, they got jumped and they got beaten. They got kicked and they got bruised and bloodied. And they walked out of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy of suffering for the name of Christ. In the supernatural power of God, when you are able to rejoice, it causes people to take notice. Why? This is not normal. Why? In my uh, third year in college, there was a, at the end of high school, you have a prom at the end of the school year. At the end of college, we had kind of like the college prom. It was a real big deal, black, white, formal attire called the colonnade ball. That's what it was called. And so a group of my friends, uh, they were seniors. Uh, My class was juniors. I didn't go, but some of my friends, my roommates went and saw them get all dressed up and uh, two, I think one or two of the guys who took their dates to the colonnade ball were uh, were dating them, and so they were obviously very excited. It was their last time to, you know, formal dance in college. Another guy liked this girl, and so he asked her out. And then there's another girl who ha- who ran with that group of, of of girls. Her name was Teresa. Teresa wasn't part of our Christian fellowship and didn't really uh, didn't really know many people, and so she didn't have a date, but she really wanted to go with her friends, and she didn't want to be like the eighth wheel or whatever it is. So she um. She asked her friend, so like, is there anybody that maybe I could go with this as a friend? And um, they said, yeah, you know, I have a friend in our circle of friends, a guy named Sam. And Sam is, you know, he's always very fun, very playful. And so they said, why don't you ask Sam? He'll, he'll go with you. He'll have fun. And he, he likes these guys too. And so um, Teresa said, hey, you know, Sam, you want to go with this thing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, let's go. And so they, at night of the ball, they went out to this really expensive steak restaurant. It was one of my roommates, Tom, uh, his idea, he's a baller. He's got a lot of money. And so Let's go eat at this steak restaurant. So they all went out to eat. And uh, my friend Sam, is not, he's not a baller. And so he's looking at the menu, and he's like, oh, my gosh, it's like really expensive, like $50, $60 for a steak. And so anyways, he did it. They ate. They all ate. And uh, when the bill came, <laughs> when the bill came, uh, the guys who were dating, obviously, they, they covered for their girlfriends, right? They were the girl that they liked. And so it's down to Sam. He's the last one. He's like... <laughs> I can't be a jerk and, and say, okay, you pay your half and I'll pay my half. So he said, I'll pay for you also. He came back home that night and I was talking to him. I was like, hey, how was the, the thing? And he's like, it was fun, but man, I'm going to be paying for this for a long time. And so we would, we, you know, we'd be talking and, and laughing about it. And then like a month later, he's like, yo, Larry, he, he used to call me Larry. He said, yo, Larry, I'm still paying off that credit card bill for that meal. 
It's 20 years later, we talk about it. I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, you guys doing okay? You want to support our, our mission teams? Like, yo, I support you guys. But listen, I'm still paying off Teresa's steak. So he says, <laughs> he's not happy about it. The others were very excited. They're very more than, more than willing to pay, right? Why? Because to them, their girlfriends were worth it. They're willing to pay a price and they gladly do it. And it shows to the rest of the people the, the, the joy that they have shows the worth of the one for whom they're willing to suffer and pay the price for. But to Sam, it wasn't worth it. Sam, it wasn't worth it. It was just some girl that he had just met and we're just hanging out and, and now I got to pay the price for her. I think a lot of times that's how we feel. When it comes to persecution, we don't... No one, no one sits there and says, yeah, you know what? I want to be persecuted. But there is an ability that God gives to supernaturally endure and to rejoice. But to those who don't, maybe it's because we haven't found him to be as worthy as those who've gone before us. Do you know Jesus? Is he worthy to you? As you come month in, month out to this table of grace, does, not, does it not melt your heart with the beauty of the one who suffered for you? When we see the worthiness of Jesus and how infinitely more he suffered on our behalf, not only physical pain, but the cosmic and eternal pain of, of, of spiritual separation from the one, the intimate relationship that he had with God being severed in that moment, bearing upon himself all of the sins that you and I deserve to bear. Not just one or two people's sins, but the weight of every Hitler, every terrorist, every suicide bomber, every genocidal freak of maniac, whatever it is, all of that upon himself. Just rejoice and be glad when you're persecuted because of me. Do you know him? Do you know the me that he's talking about that has caused people to go to their grave and to shed their blood for him? There's a blessing. He says, great is your reward in heaven. Paul writes to the Corinthians. says, our light and momentary sufferings are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. In other words, he's saying, if you, to the degree that you're persecuted, that you suffer for Christ on this earth, your reward is greater in heaven. Every insult, every persecution, every strike, every blow is storing up for yourself a greater reward in heaven. When there will be no regret that I didn't give everything I had. The only regret will be that I didn't give all that I had or more that I had. I didn't give another dollar. I didn't give more of this. I didn't. That's going to be the regret. Not that I, I shouldn't have given so much to Jesus. That will never be the regret. It will only be if only I could have done more for the beauty of the one whose face I now behold. Because you see, it's not only an eternal reward, but there's a temporal blessing in this life as well. Whenever persecution struck in the, old, in the New Testament, the church began to grow and it began to expand and it began to swell. You know what I think needs to happen and is going to happen? As persecution comes, there's a story of a, of a, of a church in Asia, a small country church in Asia as persecution began to strike, a group of people, armed people, came into that church and they opened up the doors of the church as they were having a worship service and with guns outstretched, they said, 
Anyone who wants to renounce Christ now can leave. Others who are willing to die for Christ can stay. And people began to scurry out. And they said, you have one more chance. If you want to renounce Christ and live, you may go. And those who remained wept as they remained in that place. And the gunmen put their guns down and they said, now let's continue worship because we only want to worship with those who are willing to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. I believe in my heart that this is what is going to happen in the purification of the church of the 21st century. I'm not, I'm not saying this as a prophetic word. I don't know what's going to happen, but this is what I feel. As persecution begins to come, the ranks of the church members are going to thin out and people are going to renounce their allegiance to Christ and a pure church is going to be formed. And from that church, they're going to realize that we need to stick together. We need to pray like never before. We need to shine the light of Christ and the church is going to experience a revival unlike anything we've ever known before. A pure church, a spotless bride, willing to lay down our lives for the gospel that is uh, uh, effective and vibrant and that makes a difference in our world, unlike the church today is doing. Now, I don't say that as a prophetic declaration. I didn't receive a word from God, but I feel like that might need to happen because it's happening around the world, the purifying of the church. And in the book of Acts, as it happened, let's get rid of the Christians. Let's kill them one by one. The 12 were killed. One was exiled. But out of the 11 that died, the blood of the martyrs became the seed of the church. And unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds and all over the world. That one dude who was exiled to the island began preaching the gospel all over that island. <laughs> he began doing his work and they thought getting rid of him is going to do it. But the gospel began to spread throughout the ends of the earth. Came even here to America. We stand in that line of people willing to lay down our lives for the gospel. You remember in February, there were 21, they called them Coptic, Coptic meaning the church in Egypt is the Coptic church, 21 believers who were martyred and killed on a beach in Libya. You remember seeing that scene? You see these men kneeling. And I read an article uh, this week by theologian, apologetic, great, great man of God named Ravi Zacharias. And as he talks about this, he says that, uh, you know, at a certain point, you feel like there will be one of these people who would defiantly like Braveheart. Just say, utter one, just, you can't take the world for it. Some kind of a quote that's going to reverberate throughout eternity and something that would cause them to defiantly say, you can't win me over. Something like Braveheart, right? On his deathbed as he's getting killed. But what Ravi Zacharias says is, as studies have been done, that that brave heart kind of freedom cry is actually an illusion. It's not really the way that it works. He cited an article from a country where uh, criminals, where uh, corporal punishment, I'm sorry, capital punishment still happens, and the way that they do that is they take condemned criminals uh, to a place where they behead them. And the chief executioner in that country, in the article, is quoted as having been said, they, they all just kneel down and die. Never a single one defiant, shaking their fist. They just die. It says, this is his quote, he says, their strength is drained from them. 
This happens when people are about to die. And yet, these 21, the 21 believers lined up on their knees. If there was something about them, instead of just hanging their head to die, every single one of them either mouthed or they yelled, Oh, Lord Jesus, defiant trust and faith in Christ. Rejoicing in their persecution because their eyes were not on the persecution. Their eyes were on Jesus and the reward that was to come. And you, you read about the list of the names of the 21. And as you read through, you see the names of actually only 20. What about that other guy? All it says was a worker from the village of awe. When you look at the pictures, Egyptian men, there's one dark-skinned man. He's the one. Who is he? He was a man from Chad, a citizen of Chad. Wasn't a follower of Christ. Didn't believe in Jesus. As they held up his head to die, they said, you have one final chance to renounce Jesus Christ as your God. And looking at his brothers around him and hearing their cry, O Lord Jesus, he said on his deathbed, their God is my God. And like the thief on the cross, the last moment of his life, he leapt into eternity into the bosom of Jesus and he gave his life. The church around the world is being strengthened because the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Because people lay down their lives and they believe that Jesus is worthy because they reenact in their death the beauty of the one for whom they die, the beauty of Jesus, who did not consider it torture to go to the cross, who did not consider it a burden, who did not say 2,000 years after the fact, I'm still paying for that. The one who cried out, it is finished, and with joy focused on his reward, the glory of God and the embrace of of a sinful people that he would call his family. He did that for you and for me. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted because you bear the marks of the family. When you're persecuted because of me, you know that you're mine. You're blessed. So rejoice and be glad. Let's pray. Can we, uh, can we, in our prayer, maybe all we need to do is meditate upon the cross, the beauty of Jesus. Sometimes we don't need to say much. This is hard for me as I was preparing this message. It's hard. One of the hardest messages I've ever preached. And yet we as a church have proven Jesus to be faithful time and time again. He will never let us go. Our light and momentary suffering are achieving for us a glory 
that far outweighs them all. No one who's left mothers or fathers, brothers or sisters, houses or lands for me in the gospel will fail to receive it a hundredfold in this life as well as in the life to come. Jesus is not taken by surprise when every five minutes a new believer enters glory. But he rises to welcome them home. Delights in them. Precious in the sight of the Lord, Psalm says, is the death of his saints. And for a momentary suffering all of eternity to enjoy the blessedness of being his, being with him forever, with the family marked by persecution, with renewed bodies who sing and dance endless hallelujahs and worship of our God. Let's take a moment to gaze upon the beauty of Jesus. Allow that vision of glorious rapture to lead us to declarations of praise and worship. And spend a minute or two just praying, just worshiping, seeking, looking, gazing upon Him. Just responding in due time. So gaze, let's worship. insulted, when he's persecuted, when people 
falsely accuse him of things because of you, Jesus. Lord, may we not turn away. May we believe that you're worthy. May we believe that you're worth it. May we believe that you're beautiful. May we live for you. Let's pray together for each other in that way. For a minute, and then I'll pray for us. Jesus' name we pray.